Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay, I'll save you guys. <laughs> you thought you were probably going to get a whole Rudolph song, but I, I'll save your ears. <laughs> Happy holidays, guys. What's up, Love Tribe? Thank you for joining us. Whether you're single, dating, married, or in a relationship, we're happy to have you here and give you the tools to succeed here on I Do Podcast. And today's episode is super interesting, very timely. We are talking politics. Not really. We are talking how to talk about politics. This isn't a political show, but everyone's going home for the holidays. We got a new president coming in in about a month, and it's super important to understand how to talk to your friends, your family, your lovers, when you're dating about these issues, about the political issues today, and not let it turn into an argument. And we have Dr. Daniel Ellenberg with us. And Dr. Ellenberg is pretty much, with his background, the perfect guy to give us advice on how to deal with this because him and his wife have done a lot of research in compassionate in understanding conversations and how to have that. And that's really what their specialty is. And the tools that he gives people in intimate relationships of how to compassionately talk to each other. A lot of that applies to how to have a proper discourse and proper conversation when two sides disagree. And today's political climate is very divisive. And we talk about how to sort of take a step back, seek understanding from the other side, no matter which side you are on or or where your political beliefs fall so that you can have an understanding with the people in your life even if you don't agree with them on the you know their political views or or other things just a lot of really good valuable tools to have so I know maybe a lot of you are in the car right now on the way to uh, your in-laws and your in-laws have different views and you're just waiting for your drunk uncle who's going to show up and start spouting about something and (laughs) these things happen in families and in relationships and it's important to have the tools to have healthy discourse and talk about the talk about these things or to not talk about them and Dr. Ellenberg gives us the specific examples and the things to say if you're going to have the conversation or if you'd rather not talk about it that's perfectly fine too so I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. I think it's going to be really valuable this time of year and for the foreseeable future because we have an increasingly divided country and these things are important because they're going to bring us together because at the end of the day, we all are in this together. We all want love in our lives and we're here to give you the tools to help create love and navigate issues like this. Today, we will be playing you out with the song All Eyes from the band The Hip Abduction, and it's on their self-titled album, The Hip Abduction. Check it out. Hope you guys enjoy that. And as always, we appreciate you listening to the show. You can also support the show on Amazon. We get a small percentage of everything you buy from Amazon when you click on the link that's in our show notes. 
Also on audibletrial.com forward slash I do podcast, you get a free 30 day trial at that link and a free audiobook download. So you can download a relationship book or you can download uh, Harry Potter, whatever you like, mix it up, listen to the book while you're driving in the car, working out, whatever it is when you like to listen to your audio. And you can also support us on patreon.com forward slash I do podcasts. As always, we appreciate you guys listening and hope you enjoy today's show. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. We've given our listeners a little overview of your work. So why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, I, I've long thought that relationships are the center of life. And if you're not dealing with your relationships, you're not living a good, thriving life. And having grown up in a family that was uh, more like a war zone than, than a peace zone, you know, I learned pretty early on how I wanted to live, and that wasn't it. And they say that your parents and your surroundings are either an example or a warning. Mine were more a warning. Samples in some ways, but more warnings in other ways. And I, I always had a vision of you know, living a better life than the life I saw around me when I was growing up. Excellent. Well... We talked a little bit in the pre-show about today's topic, and we really want to zero in on the social political divide in the country. Obviously, it's a very timely subject, and more specifically, maybe within a relationship, if you and your partner have different political views, and then if your partner and yourself have the same views, maybe dealing with friends that have different views or family members. So it's certainly uh, at the forefront of a lot of people's minds these days. We have a new president coming in um, uh, towards the end of January. So why don't we talk about just your work in that, and then we can zero in on a few specific uh, subjects. Well, it's, it's interesting how it's emerged. Like sometimes in our lives, you know, our inner calling meets an outer calling, and it seems like that's what's happening for me. I recently uh, did a presentation-workshop at California Institute of Integral Studies. It turned out to be a week uh, after the elections, and there were 150 people there and, you know, all ready to deal with difficult conversations. But the theme of you know, the election seemed to be, you know, in the air. And I, I received an email the next day from someone who asked me if I would do a workshop for people who are coming, going home to their families uh, for the holidays to be with people who were, in this case, more Trump supporters because the, you know, the kind of constituents who would go to CIS are definitely not um, Trump supporters in general. And so the question is, how do you actually have conversations with people? Well, it turns out that I agreed to doing this in the workshop. This is coming Saturday, so I can tell you more what, what goes on afterward. But the, I think one of the biggest things that we really need to deal with is that, you know, people tend to identify with who they vote for. They tend to identify with their favorite sports team or favorite athlete or favorite this or that. And anyone who questions that on some level is questioning them. 
So the issue of identification is really a core one. And so when someone says, I think Trump is an idiot, or I think Hillary is a cheat, or I think, you know, whatever, the person who is identified with them, or I voted for them, or was going to vote for them, you know, before the election, tends to take these things personally. And one of the most important things in terms of having a a reasonable, mindful, ideally compassionate dialogue is to move beyond it being personally about one person or the other, but more having to do with what are the underlying themes and what's what's um, getting triggered or emerging in each person. Because, like, for example, someone who, you know, say there's a woman who uh, was molested by someone, it turns out, sadly, this is not, remarkably unusual well I've, I've spoken to some women who've been molested who are really triggered by trump you know because of the allegations of him his kind of sexual misconduct so when somebody like if their mother or father voted for trump or a sister or brother or a mother-in-law or whatnot there's a way that implicitly unconsciously that person can see their family member as supporting someone who supported something that was just anathema to them and was really part of the wounding without recognizing that that person isn't necessarily supporting that aspect you know of the candidate but may have voted for him or her if it happened to be hillary you know for different reasons you know so it's important to go beyond the immediate reflexive you're a bad person because you voted for this person, you know, or voted for that person. And indeed to become more curious about well, what was it about this person, you know, that led you to vote for him or, or, or her to try to seek to understand, you know, as, as Kevin, as uh, Stephen Covey in the seven habits of highly effective people said, one of them was seek first to understand, then be understood. So more curiosity, less blaming for starters i could say a whole bunch more but you may have yeah no we'll we'll dig into to different things it's so interesting especially now obviously the political climate is i guess heated would be one word among (laughs) many but yes this identity politics is basically what you described and i find even if you're aware of it, it it is kind of yeah your first reaction is like this is an attack on on me or this person is having in supporting this uh, politician, you kind of automatically lump them in with all of the views that that politician holds. And I think uh, humans were more complex than that, but having a two-party system, it's kind of very binary. It's like you're Republican, you're Democrat. And if you're one or the other, and then you agree with everything down the line in in that um in that party. And it's just not true. I think a lot of people are, are have their reasons and they, they may dislike some things and they may like others, but it, it's hard to get out of that identity, that tribalism where we're exactly. just like, we, and, and I find myself, it's like, it, it's hard not to get wrapped in that. So just being mindful of it, is that kind of the best step to, to avoid that initial gut tribal, uh, reaction? Well, first of all, I don't, I don't know that there's a way of, of avoiding an initial reaction, you know, because these things are, 
promulgated by the you know the old brain we're not there's not things that we're reflective about we're not sitting there thinking gee what do i want to think about that person it's not like that it's much more immediate and spontaneous so the reaction comes up and then you have an opportunity to be mindful or not noticing that noticing reaction noticing the visceral sensations in the body you know as it were at that time and then there's just the this whole thing about really i think about it in terms of like having a holy covenant with oneself which is really what kind of person do i want to be i mean I'm, i'll be perfectly frank with you i am not a trump supporter i i i find many things about him objectionable i mean aside from whatever his politics are i have a deep distrust for what feels like a very strong authoritarian streak in him. So I'm, I'm just going to out myself with that. And I could say many other things about him as a psychologist and also about someone who studied authoritarianism. So it's something that is in my bones, so to speak. And when I see someone who I think represents that, it makes me very nervous, to put it mildly. Now, that said, Three days after the election, after I was really angry for a while, I wound up not being able to sleep one night. I went in my tub, I live in California, hot tub, there you go, I confess. <laughs> and I, so I was in my tub and I was meditating, and it really came to me that I really need to be a force for cohesion and coherence and healing and not be in an angry state. You know, and really, pretty much since since then, I've been fair. I've had a fair degree of equanimity about it, because I've decided that I want to be part of the solution, and not part of the problem. And I'm not interested in shouting over people. I really am interested in speaking with people who have different political views. There was a guy who was in one of my men's groups many moons ago, who was probably a very rare Republican in a, in a group in San Francisco, and he wrote me that. He was afraid he's going to have to come come back and see me as a you know as a therapist, you know, then because you know, or at least need a hug because he was convinced that Hillary was going to win and the world was going to come to an end if she did and all that kind of stuff. Just like people on the other side see see the opposite. And I wrote him. I said, you know, I'd love to talk with you more about how you see things. You know, I, I'm genuinely interested in understanding. And he wrote me back and said, well, you're one of the few people who actually is interested. There's just a lot of kind of emotional violence going on from the left. And I see that also, you know, that this this shouting over not my president. OK, fair enough. You're not happy. I get it. You know, things are the way they are. And, you know, on some level, how do you expand to include? And I know for me, I'm constantly asking myself that question when I don't agree with someone and I have a reflexive reaction come up. Okay, this is in my world. You know, I can go, no, I don't want this in my world, but the reality is it is. And so attempting to come as close to reality as possible, I go, okay, well, this is, this is part of what it is. My initial reaction is not a happy one, but nonetheless, what can I do to really be open and include this person more? And I know that, the, you know, the two of you are a married couple, and I think it's very cool that you started this thing about trying to learn how to, you know, be a successful, happy married couple in doing, in doing what you're doing, which I think, you know, bravo to you, because I think learning is 
really a key part of making life better. You know, like how can you learn from people who've actually learned some things over the years? How can we share that information? And I think really the same kind of principles apply when you when you're in a relationship, in an intimate relationship with someone, because you two may have noticed that you don't always agree on everything. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> That's fortunately right. not so fortunately not on like the big stuff you know we're we're the pretty values. the values we're we're pretty similar on which i think is uh very good for our relationship but i feel like when you said earlier i think the quote you said was what kind of person do you want to be that's where i kind of struggle with in at least in this time with this election was dealing with friendships where you know uh, a friend would have a completely different political view regarding this election. And although, like you're saying, I shouldn't, we shouldn't judge right away, but it's hard to not judge because their belief and my belief is so different that it's not that person that I want to be. So how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, for our listeners, maybe it's a family member where you can't just say, I'm not going to talk to them anymore, but it's, you know, I know it's, not easy to explain. Well, I think that it, it's, first of all, I don't think it's very possible to not have a reaction, as I was saying. So, so Sarah, you having a reaction there, it's like, yeah, of course you can have reactions. If you feel strongly about something and, and someone has a belief that directly contradicts what you believe in, you better believe you're going to have a reaction. So I don't come from the school that, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to transcend all reactions. I will be in love and peace all the time. Yeah. Not at all. It's much more to me about losing and regaining balance. You know, I think that's a much better course correcting there. And so with a friend who you have very different political beliefs, I'd be really curious to know, like, what actually do they believe? And what's underneath it all? You know, like, really, what, what's the unmet need? There's some vulnerability that is underneath the decision to you know, vote in whatever particular direction it happens to be. You know, so, and what is it that's lacking? Like, for example, you know, there's a way that people who voted for Trump, at least in certain quarters, in particularly very liberal quarters, they're seen as, they're, they must have done because they're racist, homophobic, um, xenoph xenophobic, you know, something, something phobic or some combination of everything else, you know, and you know, probably not accurate. You know, there are probably people who I'm sure there are people who voted because they are nervous about money and they think that Trump is going to cut taxes and they'll be better off for it. And so they're not any of those, those judgments. So I think that what's important to do is recognize that we all have what I call an assumption warehouse, i.e. this warehouse that lives between our ears. And immediately we assume the meaning of something. We go from some observation to an interpretation to a conclusion. And we do it automatically and don't realize that we've gone from some something like this person voted for Trump, say to immediately they're a horrible person, they're evil, they're wrong, they're, you know, they're that. They're either ignorant, they're stupid, or they're evil. Those are the choices. You know, and those are probably not wise to go there. So even though it's a reflective reaction to go there, to also 
there's where the mindfulness comes. Step back and go like, you know what? I really don't know. Even though I'm, you know, there's a part of my brain that says I'm absolutely positive. That's exactly why this person did this, and a really horrible person. Da 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 da. To take a breath, breathing is a good thing, and to step back and go, you know, I'm really not sure about why this is, and how do I really develop my curiosity muscles, and really also my courage muscles, because it's easier to judge and discard on one level than it is to be curious and courageous and go in and go like, you know, I value you, I care about you, I definitely disagree you know, with with your choice, and I'd like to understand more because if you and I can have a reasonable conversation about that, and even if we disagree, we don't have to be disagreeable to have the conversation so that we become more part of the solution. We don't have to agree, but if we don't actually talk with each other, if we don't find a way to bridge that gap, what hope is there? Because yeah. God was, you know, the dialogues that are going on on the airwaves are just so crazy. And yeah, just- that's such valuable advice, and it's so true. It's like if we're not trying to seek understanding of people with different views, then we're all just going to sort of curl up and go into our – talk about tribalism. We're going to go into our tribe. We're going to go into our room and we're not going to interact with the other side. And that's just not a healthy uh, culture, society, nation, or relationship. You know, on every level, these are all kind of relationships. And whether it's the personal one with your partner, your family members, and then on a bigger scale. So I think it's so true in what you said is seeking understanding. So taking the approach of rather than anger it being your initial reaction, it's, hmm, why... That's interesting that you think that, uh, and let's talk about why you think that. And and I love the the uh, assumptions warehouse because it's so true with with stuff like this. Is you just assume oh, okay they they voted for this person or they they believe in this, so they must believe in this this and this, and for right. these right. reasons. And uh, it's so interesting how you know we take that and we assume, and in in all kind of communications, we talk about not assuming what your partner is trying to to say, you know, to, to deliver to you. So kind of taking that wider approach and seeking understanding is such a valuable thing. Yeah, I, I you know, I totally agree with you, obviously. And, you know, I think about, when you're talking about tribalism, I'm a very strong believer that we do, we are wired to have tribal brains, you know, stranger danger, not my tribe. I mean, does this person fit in? And, and, Talk about politics, religion, and tribes. I mean, that's like the the the, the happy hunting ground for for discord. Yeah. You know? And you know, so you think about some of the ways that we're wired as human beings, and how that's you know to some degree worked on this planet since the beginning of human history, but it's decreasingly working. I mean, as the world as the world becomes more globalized, as national boundaries break down. You know, as the workforce becomes multicultural, you know, it's just not working, you know, the way that it was. And so we really do need to expand to include. And at the same time, there are other forces that are kind of pushing more kind of a nationalistic, nativistic kind of fervor there because there's, th- you know, the sense of threat. And when people feel threatened, what could go wrong from there, huh? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so, I think. It it's important to understand we're all on the same team, you know. At the end of the day, 
we're all on the same team on this planet. And it's funny because like it is so ingrained in us. I was walking down the street the other day and we were by some sports bars and there was a college football game on and this guy was yelling like so passionately and, and for his team, like angrily kind of and it's like wow and and i just thought to myself and because i'm into sports i played sports i follow sports but i'm not tribal like super i don't have a team or whatever but i understand it from that perspective it's like that's my team that's my family that's my tribe and i'm going to protect it at all costs and and it's just wild because it can it can be such a powerful uh, emotional sort of attachment to these things. And we're talking about teams, but in politics and just kind of taking a step back and being like, all right, wait a second. We're all on the same team. We all want our basic human needs filled, you know, love, shelter, um, a sense of purpose. That's almost universal. And if we can kind of try to be empathetic and take that stance i think that in can help in the in the whole seeking understanding and in not looking at the other side as the quote you know enemy yeah absolutely <clears throat> and it's it's not second nature necessarily to do that i mean you think about you know if a little kid feels like he was hit his tendency is not to turn the uh, other cheek you know, I mean, we, we learn these uh, spiritual and religious lessons in part to help us deal with some very real parts of human nature that are not predisposed to turn the other cheek, you know, so to speak. You know, so it's, it really is developing the brain. It's, it's you know, it's, it's having a spiritual practice, you know, that allows you to not just stay in threat mode. I mean, because when you think about it, the first order of business for any human being or human animal, I call us human animals, since we're wired, you know, as such, the first order of business is to determine is it safe or is it is it safe or is it a threat? You know, and we do it unconsciously. You know, so when we when we as human beings feel threatened, we are naturally going to go into one or more of the defense groups: fight, flight, freeze and or appease you can't help it if you feel threatened you get defensive and when people get defensive they they their, their intelligence shall we say does not expand <laughs> and you, tend, you tend to become more contracted focus on right what's in front of you you lose track of what's lateral you know to you the threat is right in front and you're not necessarily thinking big picture and you're certainly not thinking empathy and so one of the first orders of business is really how do you calm yourself down and recognize that actually you're not in a survival situation right now? And that's part of the challenge of having a human brain, that we tend to lop on non-survival situations, i.e. emotional situations. Even going to a party can feel like a survival situation for some people with all this anxiety, which is a really a, a survival hormone. you know, And we're not really kind of stepping back from that and watching and noticing how that visceral, instinctive, and sometimes conditioned reaction is guiding us into behaviors that we may later regret. 
Well, I think that advice right there is perfect for our listeners to kind of take home for the holidays. If they are going home and and they may have to deal with these types of conversations with family members, then I think that's exactly what they need to do. You know, when you when you think about it, Sarah, what do people want? You know, what you know underneath it all, and you know, I'm sure as you two know, I and mean, the core core desire to, to love and be loved. You know, to be, to belong in, and to welcome others to belong. You know, to be a part of, to be included, to not be excluded. And if people can just say, "Hey, listen, you know, it, you're more important to me." than who you voted for. Our relationship is, is you know, way more important. I value it much more. You know, we may have had our differences over the year, and obviously we, we still do have differences, but I don't want those differences to get in the way of the big picture. And at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm open to talking about them, but I don't want it to be all personal. I want it to be so that we're actually discussing and maybe even arguing in the, in the classic Greek sense of arguing issues and not uh, having ad hominems, you know, which is attacking, attacking each other, you know, on the merits of our being, you know, again, more curiosity, more courage, less defensiveness and, and with self-righteousness. And it's a challenge. I mean, I'm not saying these things like, Hey, what's up with you that you have issues, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not being self-righteous. I think it's difficult. And so I, I don't want to come across as Pollyanna-ish and that I'm saying, saying things that are like, yeah, that'd be great if, but there's no way I'm going to do that. I recognize uh, him as someone who was a very angry person, very reactive, and I've learned a little bit over the years, and I've mellowed. I feel like I've been like uh, the rocks on the side of the ocean have been pounded over the years and have softened. <laughs> the sharp edges you know from that pounding but in that process what i what i found is that i really you know i don't know i don't know what's right for other people per se there's a part of me that always thinks i do know you know and i've become questioning of that person you know in myself and i really i i don't know and I don't know what's going to happen. And there's a, there's a level of uncertainty that I live with that has become more comfortable, you know, for me because I don't have to know what's going to happen. And when I think I know what's going to happen, I'm often wrong, you know, so I, hopefully I'm going to be wrong about what happens with Trump (laughs) in the presidency, but you know, good luck, bad luck. We don't know where things are going to go. And evolution is not a straight line. You know, so we'll, you know, we're going to keep, you know, moving with this. I think the big thing for people is to stay actively involved in some way and not to feel helpless and hopeless, because that's what really drives people underground and leads to depression and anxiety. Active involvement, very important. Yeah, taking that perspective is valuable. And, you know, we could sort of dissect this a million different ways, but it's all such good information. Uh, could you tell us maybe specifically some of the dialogue that someone can say? So they're they're getting into this debate or what's more likely going to be an argument with their partner or with a family member, different opposing views. What are some specific kind of things that they can say to not escalate the situation like in a debate style um, acknowledging their points and so forth and in, in moving forward in a debate uh, constructively. Right. 
Yeah, that's a very important question. And well, I think that the first thing to do is recognize that you're not a slave to the other person's first point. Meaning, like if someone says, you know, God, thank God Trump won. Boy, Hillary would have ruined everything. Okay? Which would not be an unusual comment, I would imagine. Now, if you say, like, oh, that's BS. you got to be kidding. And you take the bait, then you're off and running into a direction that's probably not going to be very fruitful, to put it mildly. And so what I would do then, or at least attempt to do, is, is to step back and say, you know, I think that if we're going to have a conversation about it, I think we should really talk about how are we going to talk about it? Because I know for me, if I wind up quickly reacting to what you just said, we're, we're on our way into a fight. And that's going to be, it's going to be hard to digest our food, you know, if, if we're doing that. Yeah. So I would like to just step back and go, if we're going to have a conversation about politics, Let's have a conversation about how we're going to have that conversation first, you know, because but most important to me is that we get along and have a good time together and, you know, be caring to each other and not use what's going out in the world as an opportunity, you know, to, to fight with each other. That's the last thing we need to do. Now, note, I didn't say anything much about the content, you know, of the I'm trying to create a framework for having the conversation. You know, my, my wife and I have spent a lot of time, you know, really researching uh, both through books and, and research and working with thousands of people over the last numbers of decades on how to actually frame conversations. And one of the things that we found in terms of actually initiating a conversation is that there are, you know, clear ways that increase the probability of having desirable outcomes. Now, I say increase, it doesn't mean, it doesn't guarantee it. If you look at the word confidence, it's con with faith. You have a certain faith that things will work out well. And what we recommend is that you really start off with getting agreement. You know, in this case, maybe agreement has, you know, slipped by the, uh, the main side. But you say something like, okay, so are we agreeing now to talk about politics Right now, because if we're, if we're agreeing to that, I want to make sure that we're all on board with that before we jump into it, even if somebody has jumped into it. Mm -hmm. And then and then the next step with like end in mind, we use the acronym A-E-I-O-U. So A is for agreement. E is for end in mind. I'd like to talk about it in a way that actually brings us closer, even if we disagree like my end, my end would be that we feel closer, we understand each other more, we may not agree, but at least we can agree to disagree and be agreeable about that and not be hostile. And then I is for importance because you're important to me. You know, you're all important. Here we are. It's Christmas time. It's a time for people to be connected. The last thing I want to do is you know, dive in and, and create more animosity so that it feels yucky, you know, during and afterward. I definitely don't want that. O is for obstacles. You know, truth is, you know, we've had family dinners where we wound up arguing and then people didn't talk to each other afterward and stuff. And I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to engage in, in that. It's, it's, it's more important to connect than it is to, to have this political conversation if we can't do it in a reasonable way. 
and you is for us, you know. So I'd like to say a couple things, or you can say some things about how you see it, but I'd like to really talk about how can we talk about this in a meaningful way and not just be like those pundits on TV who are just yelling at and past each other all the time. Yeah, I love that acronym, A-E-I-O-U, and we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And that's just like a really valuable tool that specifically someone can use. And and I like how you, you say just setting up the framework for the conversation, making sure you're on the same page. That's like a, it's just a higher level of communication rather than diving into this conversation with no, you know, with your own preconceived right. ideas of where it's going to go or pushing it to that direction. And then things just kind of digressing probably from there. Whereas if instead you're both on the same page, it's kind of like a pause almost <laughs> like, okay, are we doing this? And, and then, getting on the same page with how you're going to do it. You know, absolutely. You think about what is it that guides your behavior, you know, and for, I think all of us on some level, it's our values, you know, what's really important to us. Now it, it would be simpler if we only had one value, but we often have conflicting values. You know, so for example, well, my core value is love, but if you cross me, I will hurt you. You know, and and so there's this this thing. I'm starting off in this good place, and someone says something, it triggers me, and boom, you know, we're off to the races, and now now I'm going to hurt you. You know, so you just see how this value of love and self protection, or you know, basically counter punching, you know, so to speak, you know, they how they they exist really in the same person. They can exist at the same time. And I think what's really most important is to be clear what's your core value and you keep coming back to that as your North Star, as you as you have your 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 feathers ruffled, you know, reacting inside and going, remember, remember, it's like a mantra, you know, and I know for me, being someone who's really been on the edge of having difficult conversations, which is part of why I teach it, because I've I've had a lot and I've just been someone who's gotten into the arena you know, there in terms of, you know, personal relationships, colleague relationships, professional relationships, I'm more willing to speak up than most people. You know, and what I've found over the years is that as I become more aware and connected to my core value of wanting connection, of wanting understanding, of wanting compassion, it stops me from doing some of the dumber things that I, I was predisposed to doing. I, I, I'll stop I don't just be kind of spontaneously attacking like I used to be because I, I go, what do I really want? Okay, my body wants to, you know, argh, you know, react in some way, but I keep coming back to what is my core value here. And so I'm less likely to, to jump out there, you know, as I used to. And I really recommend that to people to really think about when you're, when you're going back to your family, like, what do you really want? Like, what is most important to you? You know, is it being right? Because that, that can be a problem because if you're right, then you get to make other people wrong. And it turns out that other people, they don't like that so much in general, you know, and no one agrees to it. I mean, it's so rare to actually win an argument, you know? Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm an idiot all along. Yeah. <laughs> that. That's a good point. I think 
Yeah, taking that perspective, not you're not trying to win the argument. And I think I heard someone say that too. It's like, how many times have you been specifically politics and you you got in, into an engagement and then at the end of the, the, the debate, the other person was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You got a point. I'm forget what I just said. Almost yeah. never, like you said, right? So instead, yeah. I think that's why it's so valuable to take and you said it in the beginning, take the the line of you're seeking to understand, you're not seeking to change their mind. And and you can go forward from there like, okay, I I may disagree with you, but I now you've explained and I understand why you're taking that perspective. But if you, like you said, if you go in trying to change the other person's mind, um, you know, good luck. It's a, it's a dead end. I'm totally with you. You know, the thing is also, ironically or paradoxically, if you're really open to understanding people and what makes them tick, lo and behold, they'll turn around and become more curious about you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they'll, they'll actually be more open to hearing what your message is, is if they know that you're not being hostile, that you're not out to win, that you're not out to attack them, that you actually mean well, boy, <laughs> that their threat mechanism is going to uh, uh, be minimized and they'll become, they'll feel safer. And when people feel safe, they're more open, you know, and they're more willing to share. You know, the best way to get people to not share much about, Anything that's of vulnerable nature is to threaten them or, or on some level lead them into feeling threatened. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. And I think just the last thing, because we could, like I said, there's so much <laughs> because it's so timely. And we'll we'll get you back on sometime in the next four years, I'm sure. And we'll we'll talk some more about this. But I think it's easy also to to look at the media and look at the way the discourse goes there on both sides. And I think discourse isn't even the word, you know, it's just that that each side is not trying to really seek understanding. It's more of an attack. And then we can sort of internalize that and, and take that into our personal conversations. And it's like, that doesn't work. What they're doing is not real life. They don't have to live with those people. They're not trying to have a positive conversation. They're trying to sell advertisement, be sensational, and probably win their argument. When you're going with your partner and with family, that is not what you're trying to do. Right, exactly. Well, all great information, and now we're going to move forward into the lasting love round. Okay. What is one tool or practice our listeners can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationships? Really wondering, asking, what can I do to help my partner? You know, what can I do to make my partner's life more wonderful, easier, sweeter, nicer, better in some way to really be thinking about how can I contribute to this other person? It may be in small ways like making their coffee or making the bed or, you know, making a reservation or whatever it happens to be. But to really be thinking about what can I give, you know, and how can I give? And I I found that to be um, in some ways one of the, the best ways to feel good about yourself because people generally feel good about themselves when they're being generous 
And so generosity of spirit is something that begets generosity. Bottom line is if you want something, the best thing to do is give what you want. If you want openness, be open. If you want generosity, be generous. If you want kindness, be kind. And so that's, that's one thing off the top. Awesome. Well, I think that's great, especially during the holidays when a lot of people are experiencing stress and they're kind of forgetting about what other people's needs might be too, is just to treat them how you'd want to be treated. It seems that the golden rule uh, still persists, doesn't it? I think it does. Yep. Is there a book or resource you recommend for our listeners who want to improve their relationship? Well, I know that my wife and I wrote a great book many years ago <laughs> called Lovers for Life. So that that's a wonderful couples book. And I think, um, you know, are you talking about specifically for couples or just in general for one's own personal and relationship development? Yeah, both. You can give a couple recommendations. Well, I think that I think hardwiring happiness, you know, um, Rick Hansen, who is a good buddy and a colleague of mine, is a great book for really internalizing positive experiences. I mean, the best way to really grow inner resources is to focus on the positive and not just getting rid of all the so-called negative things about yourself. That's that's endless, as it turns out. You know, so I think Hardwiring Happiness is a great book. If you want to understand the brain better in terms of the whole survival mechanism, the emotional brain. Know by Joseph Ledoux. Um, there's Daniel Siegel has a lot of great material out. All of his books, I think, are wonderful. I I do think um, Marshall Rosenberg's material, you know, on really on nonviolent communication, you know, is really great and simple stuff. Uh, Crucial Conversations is a great book, as is Difficult Conversations. I wish I could say that our next book is out, but it's not. We're still in process. We'll still mention it. What is it? Well, it's on mindful conversations, but it's not. We're we're, we are not done with it yet, so it's going to be a while before that gets out. Great. Um, Well, those resources, as well as uh, you and your wife's book, will all be mentioned on your show notes page on our website on Audio Podcast. Great. Is there any advice? Go ahead. No, go, go on. Is there any Just, advice you would give newlyweds? I think I'm, I am a believer in talking about the challenging things, the difficult things. Um, and I see that there is a confluence of being self-aware. Like, what's really going on in me? Like, if my husband is late or doesn't call for dinner. And then if my first reaction is to say, you're, you're mean or you're irresponsible, you're looking at blaming on some level. To be aware of the tendency to blame and guilt trip, it's endemic in the world and certainly our culture. And we, most of us have grown up with parents who did that. And you know, so it becomes part of our, our minds to blame. And it turns out it's not a very good strategy. You know, so the best thing to do is really to look at what actually is going on in me that that's triggering me to do what my wife and I call kind of an emotional archaeology. It's maybe a little quick to go 
go into this in the last seconds here of the show, but basically you're really looking at what in me about me has gotten triggered in relation to you. You know, so whenever we're saying like you made me feel this way, we're off path in some way that what it, what in me, like, for example, you know, when you don't do this, what, what it does is it triggers my fear that I don't really matter or I'm insignificant, you know, or I'm not lovable. And so I wind up trying to control you because of that. So it's much better to just be aware of what is the core, you know, dynamic that's gotten triggered. And by the way, a good book for this is the, the truth option by Will Schutz. If you want to understand more about self-concept and the impact of that. And then being willing to, to being aware of it yourself and then being willing to disclose it honestly. And so I see a personal truth, not like truth with the capital T, but personal truth is awareness about one's own issues and dynamics and uh, which is intrapersonal within oneself. And then willing to disclose, be honest to other people, interpersonal there. And so there really is a power of vulnerability, you know, around, you know, disclosing these things. And I'm sure that the two of you, you know, have shared many vulnerable truths about yourselves, you know, with each other. And that has helped you, you know, forge your relationship to become stronger over the time you've been together. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it creates more intimacy. Exactly, and if you look at the phonetic of intimacy as into me see, you know, you, you're allowing the other to see into you, and obviously there's a risk involved, you know, with that, but you don't really get the reward unless you're willing to take that risk, and that's where the true interpersonal courage, you know, really shows up. Yeah, absolutely. I think even doing these podcasts, I feel like every once in a while we'll hit a deep subject and it'll help us open up and it allows us to be even more intimate. Very nice. I hope this is one of those days. <laughs> I think it is. Yes. What is uh, the last question? What is uh, some advice you'd give our single listeners? Well, I think you re really what kind of relationship do you want to be in? And what are you willing to be in? I think a lot of people sell themselves short, you know, with what kind of relationship they don't, they have very low expectations. Was it Marcus Aurelius? He said, it's not that our hopes are too high and we fail to reach them. It's that they're too low and we do, you know? And, and so I, <clears throat> I think that sometimes people sell themselves down the river too quickly. They listen to so-called dating experts who tell them not to reveal much about themselves, really get in the relationship first. And then way later on, you can start revealing some things about yourself. I think that's a bad strategy. I think it's much better to come out early, early on with who you are and what goes on inside you. Because essentially what you're doing is you're vetting the other person. If the person is not open to you in the beginning, they're probably not going to be open to you later on. You know, so you've sold them a false bill of goods if you haven't shared more of who you are and what's important to you. You know, so I basically say to people, you know, show up as you are and see if there's someone who wants to come and play with you there. And, and to me, I, I got to a place having been engaged once before, as was my wife. I just and I, I love my, you know, my fiance, but I knew it wasn't quite right. And I said to myself, you know what, I'd rather be single for the rest of my life 
than to compromise on this level. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some levels of compromise, but, you know, if it comes to the really big things and you're compromising, you know, it's not going to be good. And as the two of you shared, you know, you do share core values, you know, the deeper core values. And if that were not the case, you know, wouldn't that be better to know earlier rather than later? Absolutely. You know, so that, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> <Okay>. completely necessary. <laughs> well, yeah. I I agree, but it turns out a lot of people will just hide so much of themselves early on, just like they did in their families. And, you know, it made sense because there, maybe there wasn't room for them with their mother, father, sister, brother, you know, whoever, to, to show up as themselves. And they learned that that's what they had to do in order to survive. But, you know, I wouldn't want to look at a, a marriage as something that you just have to survive. I want it to be something that you can actually thrive in. Exactly. And I think key part of that is all the great information you're putting out there and we're just happy to be able to share it with our listeners so we appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing all this advice let's finish up by having you tell our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye you're very good hey first of all, i just want to say pleasure being with the two of you i really feel your your good spirit and your genuine desire to understand and to share you know valuable information so kudos to you too well, thank you so much. And and to your little baby, who I guess is sleeping now. <laughs> yes, still. Finally, that's, that's, she's stayed asleep for a whole interview. <laughs> that's, she's so good, boy. And so you can find me, Daniel. I have two different emails. One is Daniel at relationships, plural, relationships that work, dot com, and also Daniel at rewire leadership, R-E-Wire leadership dot com, because I also do organizational work you know, around kind of helping people have the kind of conversations that they need to in work, uh, as well as 415-883-5600. You probably hear that line going on in the background, 415-883-5600. So those are the best places to reach me out if anyone would like to. And uh, pleasure being with the two of you, and hopefully we'll do this again sometime. All right. Well, great. Uh, all those links and uh, the numbers, everything you just mentioned will be on your show notes page. And again, we appreciate it so much. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Take good care. Hi, Sarah here. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon, Amazon, or audible.com. All the links are on the bottom of our show notes page on idopodcast.com and in the description for this episode. Also, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes. We appreciate it so much. Thanks.
Put out the fire 